Well, today we're coming to the chapter in Ephesians, the part of Ephesians looking at marriage. And as I say that, I know that that can be tough for many people in this room or those listening at another time. Why? Well, some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not married. I'd love to be married, but I'm not. And does this mean I can just switch off? Well, as I said earlier, no, it doesn't. Please do listen on. But perhaps for you, thinking of marriage can be just really painful. Maybe you do long to be married and you're not. Maybe you uh, are, were married, but your spouse is no longer with us. Separated. separated, yes. There might be some in here who've had that trial of divorce and separation. And maybe you're in a marriage that is hard and it is just something that you find really hard to think about. And you're just not happy. And it leads you to despair. You know, there can be different situations in this room as we come to think of this topic, can't there? But as we look at this theme today, I want us to see whatever we are feeling about this topic, however we are, there is something so important for us to see here. So whether you are married this morning, whether you are single, whether you are divorced, whether you are widowed, whether you're separated, wherever you are, you need to hear this message. Ultimately, marriage is telling us something. Marriage is pointing us to a divine love story that we can all be part of. Marriage is pointing us to a divine love story that we can all be part of. So this great story of the Bible is a love story from beginning to end. And one way we can look at it is through this theme of marriage. You think at the beginning in Genesis one and two, we see there a marriage with Adam and Eve, and it ends with a marriage. In the end of the Bible, in Revelation 20 and 21, we see uh, the bride of Christ, the church, uh, come into this wedding feast, wedding of the Lamb, married to Christ. So it's one love story. To get this, to understand this, we need to see three things. So this is what we'll look at. We'll look at the story of marriage. Then, so if you're imagining seeing a play, okay, we're going to see the story. I'll give you an overview of the story. Then we're going to look at the backdrop of marriage. So what is the background we need to understand before we understand these uh, roles? And then finally, we'll look at the characters in marriage. So if we see it as a play, as a story, we're going to look at the whole story. I'll give you a synopsis. Then we'll look at the backdrop, the background. Then we'll look at the characters uh, looking at husband and wives this morning. So this passage, to understand marriage and to understand the importance of it, to understand roles within a marriage, we need to see that marriage is not an end of itself in itself. It is not the ultimate goal. Actually, God has given us marriage as a signpost. It is pointing us to somewhere, to something greater. Now, imagine if uh, a family were, were told uh, the dad or mother comes in and says, right, we're going to go to Disneyland. We're going to Paris. So jump in the car, and then they jump in, and they go. And as when they, they go through the channel tunnel, maybe they come out the other side, and they see a signpost for Disneyland. And the dad says, right, get out, we're here. And so they get out on the side of the road, and they're standing in the middle of the, you know, by the side of the road, by the sign saying Disneyland 10 miles. Now, what's the problem there? Well, everybody's going to be disappointed because the signpost was there for a reason. The signpost was to point to the destination. It's not an end in itself. Is to point somewhere else. Well, marriage is pointing us somewhere else. It's somewhere bigger, somewhere greater. And to help us with this, look how Paul's, what Paul says in verse 32 
as he's writing to the church in Ephesus. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And that's not the only place he says, look at verse 25, to understand who husband's role. What are we told there? It's told that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse uh, 23, we see the same, um, as Christ is head of the church. Verse uh, 29, we see uh, again there, the church, the Christ, the church mentioned. So to understand marriage, if we don't understand Christ and the church, then we're not going to get it. And we'll get, there'll be misunderstandings and there'll be confusion all around. So marriage is God's reminder to us of the reality of how much he loves us. So marriage is supposed to be a picture to us of God's reminder to us of how much he loves us. So what's the story? Well, it's the story of all stories, the love story of the Bible. It's about a great hero who came to rescue his beloved. It is about the hero who went on this treacherous journey, not just risking his life, but laying down his life for the one he loved. This bride that he comes for, it has been unfaithful. This bride that he's come for, uh, come for has wandered away from him, and yet he didn't ignore her. He didn't just cast her off, but he kept pursuing, kept uh, going, and lays down his life in order to rescue her and bring her to safety and bring her to this embrace of his love. It's really what most stories are pointing to anyway, the greatest story of all. And that is one way to see the Bible, isn't it? This love story, as I said, starts with the marriage, ends with the marriage. Um, in Genesis 1 and 2, and then in Revelation as well. Jesus, the greatest hero of all, came from heaven. And he came with one purpose, and that was to rescue for himself, to get for himself a bride. And even though uh, this world has despised and scorned him, even though we have turned our back on him, he comes. And he comes to one that seems unlovely, but he loves her. He came in order to rescue us to save us from our rebellion. We were on a path to destruction, but Jesus came and said, I am going to save you. He came, and as he came, even though he was king of the Lord of the universe, he came not to be served, but to serve. He was the great servant-hearted leader. He chose willingly to submit to the Father's plan. Remember uh, in the Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done, Jesus said to his Father. And then he went and laid down his life, gave it all up, dying on the cross. He took our place. He took our punishment. He stood there for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be embraced, so that we could be welcomed, so that we could be his bride. And so when someone becomes a Christian, you become part of God's people. You become part of the church. The church can be seen localized like this, but as well the worldwide church where all who trust in Jesus are part of. And we become part of his church. And the church in the Bible is described as the bride of Christ. Christ is the most faithful and sacrificial and loving of husbands. He is the one who says nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is too much trouble. And the proof is, I died on the cross, he says. I gave my life for you. I've given my life for my bride. I've shed my own blood. Nothing is too hard for me. And I am here to serve you. He always wants what's best for his bride. He always wants what's best for you. Remember the other way that 
the church is described as the bride of Christ, but also the body of Christ. Christ loves us. We are his body. You know, it's wonderful to think that if you're a Christian this morning, Jesus has made vows to you in one sense because we are his bride. Listen to something of what he might say. He says, I, Jesus, take thee, sinner, to be my wedded wife, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful saviour and bridegroom in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, for this life and for eternity. And in one sense, when you become a Christian, we look into the face of Christ and we say, I, sinner, take thee, Jesus, to be my Saviour and Lord, and I promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful bride, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, for this life and for eternity. Before we looked at, look at any of the ins and outs of our roles in a marriage do you realize if you're a christian here this morning whether you're single divorced whether you're widowed or married you are part of the bride of christ and he loves you dearly you are the apple of his eye he longs to spend time with you he loves to look at you you are precious to him and i know what some of you will be thinking not me Maybe them over there, maybe them over there, but not me. Not, I'm so unlovely. But you see, God wants you to know how much he loves you. And so he's given us this picture of the bride in this life, the, 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 the wedding, the, the marriage, to show, look, that is a glimpse, just a glimpse of how much you mean to me. In the same way as we thought last Sunday afternoon, in the same way in a wedding ceremony, when the bridegroom turns and see his, sees his bride walking down the aisle, his heart is just overwhelmed and overflowing with love for her in the same way that's how Christ views you. He just loves to be with you. Just as an aside, when we spend time with God, when we talk to him, when's the last time we thought that that's what God wants? He wants you to talk to him. He longs for you. He can't wait for you to speak to him. It's not a chore we have to tick off. He says, come on, I want to speak to you. Come on, talk to me. This is the God we serve. Even in our unfaithfulness, Christ is faithful. There's pictures throughout the Bible of, of that, and um, one of the ways that God describes sin in the Bible is unfaithfulness. When we go to other idols, it's as if we are being unfaithful in our marriage to him. And so if you want to see a reminder of that, look at the book of Hosea. Beautiful picture there of the prophet um, um, Hosea, who is called to marry Goma, and Goma is a prostitute, and Goma is married to uh, Hosea, and then she wanders off. She's unfaithful, and God says, go again to her. Even though she's been unfaithful, go to her and, and win her back. And in the same way, God comes to us and says, you're mine. This is where you stand if you're a Christian. You are married to Christ. And this, if you don't get anything else from this morning, please hold on to this. This is how much you are loved. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Just pause for a moment and see what this picture God gives us of Christianity is showing us. It's, it's showing us, look, God isn't one who says, try your best, and maybe if you're good enough, I'll accept you. No, we're seeing that Jesus is the hero who's come to rescue us. We are in desperate danger, and we need the great hero, Jesus. And we live in the assurance of being loved by him. 
We don't live in the, does he love me, does he not? No, we know he does. So this isn't some dictator demanding your obedience. This isn't just some horrible um, person who says, you must do this. He is our loving spouse who has already given everything for us and promises to give everything we need until we're with him forever. And he's asking you today, will you trust me? That's what he asks. That's what he means to be a Christian. Will you trust me? Will you commit your life to me? And as you see him asking you this morning, will you trust me? Just look closer at Jesus. Look at his hands and look at his feet. You'll see there there are nail prints because he died there on the cross because he loves you. You can trust him. It is so important for us to grasp this. Do you see who you're rejecting if you're not trusting in Jesus yet? Do you see how precious you are to Christ if you are trusting in him? Before we go any further, we need to see the story. Have we got it? That's how much we love. That's the story, that the signpost. Marriage is the signpost pointing us to that. That's the first thing. Secondly, we need to see the backdrop. We need to see some background. Before we jump into specifics of roles here, there's a few things we need to see um, before we look at the main characters in this story. And as I read the passage earlier, I wonder if some in here were getting a bit squeamish. You know, when we read some of the phrases and some of the words, some of the verses, you think, oof, that sounds a bit um, harsh this, this day and age. How can, how can we live up to that? Or how can we do that? Well, there's a few things before we jump in we need to see. These are um, things. So three Fs for us to see um, before we go any further. The first is the foundation of marriage. Paul here in this passage is basing it on verse 31. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and two shall become one flesh. We see that in Genesis 2. So what Paul's basing this on is um, Genesis 1 and 2. You can go there to read uh, what that is saying. And when we look at the context there, we see the first marriage, Adam and Eve. And listen to what we're told in Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So humanity has been crafted by God, handmade as it were. He got involved. All humans are made with dignity. All humans are precious, are made equal. So male and female, from Genesis 1 and 2 we see, are equal. No one is better than the other. We are all equal. But also we see in Genesis 1 and 2, not are we just equal, we're different. We're not the same. And there are differences between male and female. We're designed in a way that complements each other. Think of the first command that God gives Adam and Eve, go forth and, and be fruitful. That can only happen with, two, with a male and a female. That's the only way it works. So we need each other. We are perfectly equal, but we are not the same. And that's something that we can see is rooted in who God is. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 tells us there, makes this connection between husbands and wives and the Trinity. And so God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all equal, together, united, and yet they have different roles. And that's what we see um, in this. We are equal, but we're not the same, male and female. So the Bible is clear here that, that the marriage is designed by God from the beginning. It's his idea. It's his plan. It's between male and female. It's his plan. It's his design. 
and both are equal in the marriage relationship. We are not identical. We are not the same, but we're equal. Now, it's really important we grasp that. Can you see how important that is? And that applies to all of us, doesn't it? We need to have these truths in our mind. The foundation is we are equal, but we're not the same. The second thing is this. The foundation is the first F. The second F is filling. Let's not forget the context of this passage. What's the context? Well, we looked at it last week. We need the Spirit to fill our lives. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 tells us that, doesn't it? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does a life of being filled with the Spirit look like? One of the things we saw last week, but we mentioned it briefly, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. All of us have, need, must have this Christ-like attitude of saying, you first, me second. Yeah, this, I'm going to put your needs before my own. That is the Christ-like way of living, filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another, thinking of the other. And we need God's help for that. Now, when it comes to marriage, it's still under the same section, still talking about what a Spirit-filled life looks like. And so it says, look, when we piece together this with Genesis 1 and 2, Paul is saying, look, this is the original plan for marriage. I want to go back to pre-fall. This is how you're designed to be. This is how it works. And we need God's help because we're not in Genesis 1 and 2 anymore. In Genesis 3, the world is broken. It falls. We're in a fallen world. So we need to know this. Now, do you see what that means? Paul is saying these words because naturally this is not where we fall into. This is not where we go if we just are left to our own devices. In fact, it's often quite the opposite with our roles, isn't it? But God is calling us to do something that doesn't come naturally to us now in the fallen world. So we need the Spirit's help. So when you, if you're married reading this passage this morning, you think, well, this is hard. Or I'm not doing this very well. Well, join the club. Because this is post-fall, we need the Spirit's help to live this out. But the great news is God hasn't given up on us. And in His kindness, He gives us um, his power, his spirit to equip us and strengthen us to live it out. So the foundation, we are equal, but we're not the same. Uh, the filling we need is because this doesn't come naturally. And then the third F is this, we need faith. Now, when it comes to living the Christian life, I wonder if you've said to God, yeah, I believe in all of this, but there's some areas of my life that I'm just going to keep to me. So no access here. You know, it's as if you put a sign up outside the door and saying to God, God, no access in here. But what this shows us, this passage is showing us that there is no area of our life that is off limits to God. He wants to talk to us about everything because he is the creator God and he knows what is best. He has the right to speak to us about marriage because it's his idea. It's his plan, not mine, not our own. It is God's plan. It's his idea and he knows how it works best. So as we're listening and as we go on to think uh, for this last section about roles and the characters within a marriage, we're saying, Lord, would you help us to listen with faith? Faith that says, God, you know what's best. Faith to know that say that God is saying us because he loves us and he is the creator who we can trust. So you need to come with foundation. We're all equal. 
but we're not the same. We need to come with a filling. God, I can't do this on my own. And we need to come with faith. Lord, you are good, and I trust you, and this is how you want us to live. So we've seen the story, the big grand story of the Bible, why marriage is there and why it exists. It's pointing us to the greatest story of all. The backdrop is those three Fs we just looked at. So let's look now um, for this last section at the characters within this story. Okay, we're looking at the roles of husband and wives. Let's start with husbands, because when we grasp what God um, is saying through his word in um, chapter 5 of Ephesians, what he's saying to the husbands, I think then it makes more sense when he asks when he asks him what the wives to do. So if you're not married at this point, please don't switch off, but listen and pray for those you know who are married. And these are the things you can pray for them. So husbands, verse 25, let's look at what it says. Husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her remember the ultimate love story christ and the church well in a marriage the husband is to take that christ role in how he lays down his life for the bride now it doesn't literally mean we need to die because in one sense i'm sure if that was brought to us we would if there was a gun pointing, I'm sure instinctively, uh, many husbands would dive in front of that bullet, would take the bullet. But this is more than that. This is a daily, sacrificial, selfless, you-first attitude. I am laying down my rights for you. I'm laying down my life. Husbands, we are to die to self to love our wives. We're not to be lazy. We're not to seek our own needs. We're not to throw our weight around to get what we want but we're to sacrificially love. It'll cost. Look at verse 26 and 27, how it fleshes that out. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might, be pre might pre present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ's desire is for the church to be spotless, for her to be pure, for her to grow, Husbands, we're to have the same goal and prayer for our wives. To say, well, what can I do to help her to be pure, to help her to be spotless, to do what is best for her spiritually, for her to excel, for her to flourish? How can I help her? To ask those kind of questions. You set the spiritual tone, as it were. Verse 28 and 9, he changes the picture somewhat because he says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So the image, is, image changes here to the body. Now, you wouldn't hurt your own body, would you? You'd look after it, you cherish it, you instinctively want to protect it. And remember now, as we see in verse 31, you are one flesh. And so you are one. One body, so you treat her with the same respect, and honor and love and care as you would your own body we'll look at this in a moment but there is an overlap here because it says in verse 23 that husband is to be the head of the wife now again these words and the words submit we'll look at in a moment have been misused in so many horrendous ways over the years but look at this and what god is saying here this is one of those lines and it? it just can be so jarring but look at the context the husband is the one we're told here who is to take the lead he's to set the direction in a body, you don't have two heads, do you? 
pulling in separate ways. No, the husband is to take the responsibility. You can't have two autonomous individuals. You're working together. You can't have two pulling in different directions. One direction, one head. And the husband is to take the lead in that, Paul is saying. Does that mean the wife can never correct? Never suggest things, say things, and just has to just be quiet? Well, not at all. This is a Christ-like, selfless, servant-hearted leader who wants to find out what is best for his wife. And so he needs to ask. He needs to know her. He needs to show love and care. You can't just guess that, can you? You can't just work it out. But that needs loving conversations and, and patience. Now, as we're reading through this, men, this is a high calling, isn't it? Don't we need the spirits filling? Lord, help me. Help me to live this out. Can you see how much of a contrast this is to the stereotypical husband we get on TV? You know the stereotypical husband is? The one who just sits and watches TV and the wife does everything. The husband's just lazy, selfish. No, this just can't be. The calling of a husband is to serve, to lay down your life for our wives. That's the calling of a husband. That's the first character we see here. Secondly, let's look at wives then. The next character in this glorious story to point us to the greatest picture of all is wives. Look at verse 22 down to 24. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, straight away there, that's an uncomfortable one, isn't it? Isn't that a hard thing to hear sometimes? We think, well, what is going on here? And as I said, these are words that have been misused and abused in horrendous ways over the history of the church. So what is it saying? What's going on here? Well, let me quote a lady called Kathy Keller. She's the wife of Tim Keller. And in their book on marriage, she goes through how she struggled with this command. But she puts it across so well. She said, this my first encounter with ideas of headship and submission was both intellectually and morally traumatic. But fortunately... I had some gifted teachers who steered me to the Philippians 2 passage. Let me just read that passage for us to see what she saw there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So, Kathy Keller was pointed to that when she was struggling with his different roles within a marriage. And then I saw it, she says. If it was not an assault on the dignity and divinity, but rather led to the greater glory of the second person of the Godhead to submit himself and assume the role of the servant, then how could it possibly injure me to be asked to play out the Jesus role in my marriage? There is no inequality of ability or dignity. We are differently gendered and reflect this life within the Trinity. The Son takes a subordinate role, and in that movement, he shows not weakness, but greatness. So in one sense, husband and wife are to show Christ to each other. The husband, by laying down his life, but then the wife to say, I'm going to um, submit to your leadership. Both get the honour, the privilege of being Christ in that sense. The husband lays down his life. The husband shows a servant leadership. And the wife is to gift this submission to his role. 
There's a voluntary character to this, by the way. This can't be demanded. Nowhere does Paul say, you must get your wives to submit. No. What a horrendous thing. What's been said? Well, connect this with what was said earlier about the husband being the head. The husband is the sacrificial, servant-headed leader, and the wife is to follow this person who is thinking of her best interests. Now, can you see, however jarring it might sound, however um, uh, it might feel to us as we read that, if we followed this, can we see how that would work? Can we see how God's plan is good? It's really important for us to see as we look at these roles. This isn't a matter of competency, who is best. There may be many marriages where the wife is much more competent than the husband, much more, much cleverer, much more intellectual, much more um, just, just better in many things, many gifted in many more ways. It's not a matter of competency. Perhaps you have a work, you were, when you were working or when you, if you're in work now, you had a boss who you knew you were more capable than. Yeah, you knew that you could do the job better in one sense, but they were your line manager. They were your head, so you, that was their job, that was their role. So here, the wife is to follow the husband leads, ha, lead as he follows God's lead. We're not to be people pulling in two different directions, but in harmony together. And remember, as the wife is called to submit to the husband, who the husband is called to think of what's best for her. This should be a trusting place. Remember, Paul's vision is to return to Eden. This is how it was meant to be. This is part, um, you know, everything since is part of the curse, but this is kind of to reverse the curse. And do you remember what the curse was? Part of the curse was this, this tension between um, Adam and Eve. Your desire will be to, for him to, to take over. There will be a desire, there will be a temptation to domineer. But we're called to follow God's given roles where we will both flourish. Now, wives, this is not easy. And again, can you see the context here? Lord, fill us, help us to live this out. We need you. This is how it's meant to be, and we need your grace and your help. Now, just a few comments just before we finish about the husband leading. Because there are, of course, there will be times where a woman shouldn't submit to the husband. If the husband is asking his wife to sin, we have a greater um, allegiance to our God. If a husband is asking her wife, his wife, to go against God's ways. We don't, you don't submit then. If a husband is sinning against his wife, if there is abuse in the marriage. Now, as I said today, there's going to be lots of different situations in here, but sadly, I've got to address this. There might be some in here who feel in danger in their marriage. There might be some in here who, um, who feel unsafe, it should be a place where we are safe, where the, the husband is caring and loving his wife, and the wife is loving and serving the husband. But there might be a situation where you're not safe, and that could be the husband um, and, uh, in an abusive way towards the wife or vice versa. And this is something that Christians aren't immune from. Don't think this is just a problem outside of the church. No, this is something that can happen within the church and so as we're talking of this 
just see how contrary that is to what Jesus wants. Just see how whatever you are being told that we need to make sure you are safe. It's not okay to feel threatened. It's not okay to feel controlled. And abuse can take many forms, whether that's physical or psychological. And if that is you today, please speak to someone. Please tell someone. Please share it with someone and seek help. And there is support. Again, don't just think this is something that doesn't happen within the church. Of course it can. We're all sinners. But these roles can be abused. These roles can be mistreated. And we need God's grace. So if that is you, please, please seek help. We want to help. Now, as we come to the end of this, I know a message like this can leave us in many different places. We can sometimes look at this and think, well, my marriage is nothing like that. We can give up hope. We can despair. We can think, well, what do we turn? Well, let's remember our God is a God of hope and a God of resurrection. He brings from death life. And so if we feel at the end of ourselves and go, no, I, I can't do this. We might have been brought down really low by looking at what God says about marriage this year. We might feel really low. Remember, grace runs downhill. And at, when we're at our lowest and we are weak, don't despair or give up, but say, Lord, help me in my need. Help me, please, I need you. So we repent and we turn back to God and we say, Lord, fill us by your spirit and help us to live this out. Pray this through. Seek help or support if that's needed. Now, perhaps this leaves uh, a sadness as we come to the end because we think, well, I'd love to have had a spouse to work these things out with, or I wish my spouse was still here. Well, remember again that there is one in heaven who is betrothed to you, one who loves you, one who wants to hold on and never let you go. And marriage is a picture of that great marriage. And this picture in this life is passing. The wed, the, the, Jesus tells us that in heaven there'll be no need for marriage because we'll be there with him forever. We'll be married to Christ, loved and cherished. So together today, whatever our state, whatever our relationship status, we look to Jesus. And we pray for each other in whatever circumstance. Lord, help us. So the story of marriage is where we started. And that's where I want us to end. Keep looking to him and pray that our marriages would live that out and show that for God's glory. Let's pray together before we sing our last song. Lord, we thank you so much that your word is, uh, is truth. And we thank you, uh, Lord, that it is true whatever century we're in. And I pray now, Lord, for the different circumstances and situations that there are in this room. Lord, we pray that you would minister to us by your Spirit. Do a work in us, we pray. We need your help, whatever status we're in, whether we are single or married. Lord, please would you help us to reflect Christ in our lives. That we would all be submitting to one another, loving and caring for one another. That we would be showing Christ to one another, reminding us of the great love story of all. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.